Let's take you back to 2001. We've just had the attacks on the Twin Towers in New York and the UK and all its army bases are on high alert. Jeff Gray was 17. He was from Hackney in East London and he was serving at Deep Cut Army Barracks in Surrey. He was a trainee soldier and he died of two gunshot wounds to the head. Was Jeff shot by another recruit? Was he killed by an unknown attacker? Did he take his own life? More than 17 years after he died, his family is learning the truth about what happened in his final moments. This is the third case to be brought to Fresh Inquest following the deaths of the so-called Deep Cut Four. Private Sean Benton, Private Cheryl James and Private James Collinson, whose family is yet to secure a new inquest, all died within a six-year period. John Cooper QC is representing the Gray family, Jeff's mum Diane and dad Jeff Sr. I'm Kyle Ark and along with fellow journalist Barry Keevans, we'll be bringing you all the latest from the inquest into Private Gray's death. We'll bring you the highs and lows from court each week. We'll help you understand what's happening and who the key players are. We'll hear about underage soldiers drinking alcohol, security incursions on the camp and an anonymous letter sent to the family's legal team in the final weeks of preparation. And we'll hear much, much more. The inquest is expected to last for more than six weeks at Woking Coroner's Court. We'll be there every step of the way. This is Deep Cut, the inquest. So, Barry, we've had the first week of evidence now. Now, as is pretty standard with these things, the inquest opened with evidence from Jeff's parents. Um, we heard quite a lot about what kind of a boy he was, what, what kind of a teenager he was, the fact that he loved the Scouts, the fact that he had wanted... Um, you know, he was keen to join the army. He'd chosen to join the army. And, you know, he, he loved that sense of adventure and regiment that he'd found within the scouts. What what did you kind of take from that first day of evidence when we, we really kind of heard about, about Jeff? Well, I mean, what, he actually chose the, the RLC as well, which was I thought was uh, outstanding as well, because, you know, you don't expect somebody that young to know exactly what it is that they want to do. I mean, he wanted to be a supply controller. He knew exactly what trade he wanted, what regiment he wanted. He was on the way to, well, as his mum said, living his dream. He was doing well, wasn't he? He was doing he was doing well at Deep Cut. Um, he appeared to be enjoying it. And he seems, by all accounts, a very mature young man and a very popular one too. Uh, especially with the ladies, which we keep hearing as well. So. <laughs> Indeed. Now, we then heard from a, a couple of his childhood friends as well, who he'd known before he joined the army, and from his first love, uh, Claudia, who got quite emotional, understandably, as she as she gave evidence. And I think some of the things that, that she said really struck a chord with me, and I think would with with a lot of people who remember, you know, looking back to the teenage years and, and her and Jeff having this kind of on-off relationship, the tempestuous relationships that you have sometimes as a teenager and, you know, silly yeah, arguments. Like and, stuff, yeah, yeah, and uh, she said, you know, she was asked about the last phone call she'd had with Jeff the last night, essentially a few hours before he died. And they'd always said, I love you to each other, but she had a new boyfriend at this point. And so he was with her at this phone call and... So she didn't say it back and, and she got understandably quite emotional in court, didn't she? And that was that kind of struck a chord with a few people in the courtroom. And I, I felt quite sorry for her, I think, at that point in terms of... The, Nobody ever expects their phone call to be the last No, call. no, of course. Yeah, you could see she'd kind of carried that for all these years with her, hadn't she, in terms of... Yeah, and yeah. she's still very close to, to Jeff's parents as well. Yes, yeah, and that, that was quite apparent outside of court as well, wasn't it? They were sort of hugging each other and, yeah, it was sort of quite sweet that they've, you know... She sort of kept that relationship going with them. Then the next day, we get on to a bit more army evidence with Brigadier Coles, who is a regular 
shall we say, at these inquests now. Now, you were there for his evidence. What were the key points? I don't think I know what you're going to say, first of all, but what were the key points that you took from that? I suppose the standout thing from, from Brigadier Coles is that he didn't apologise to the family at all. In the first two inquests we've had, it's been the first words of, that we've heard from the MOD, you know, the Donnelly and, the, and Cheryl James and Coles himself in, in Sean Benton's inquest. It was, it's the first thing that they say, you know. It's the default position and it, it, it's the first words out of their mouth and this time, it, this time it wasn't. And when you told me, I, I could not believe, do you think that was an oversight? I mean, it seems strange that it would be. I think it's another indication of, of how different this one is to the first two. Jeff and Diane's attitude towards the MOD is not particularly friendly, I don't think, but I know that as soon as the session was over for the day, I, I tweeted that that Brigadier Coles hadn't made an apology. I know that he, lawyers, offered to make an apology to Jeff and Diane. He actually asked them whether they wanted it in public or in court. I think in no uncertain terms, Jeff and Diane declined that offer. Politely. Um, um, that's a polite way of putting it, yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah, I mean, course, yeah. that in itself is is bizarre and hard to kind of understand. I mean, why would you, you know, say to somebody, would you like an apology and how would you like it? I mean, you know, that seems a bizarre reaction from, from somebody so senior within the military who is used to apologising, uh, you know. It doesn't smack as being uh, a sincere, heartfelt apology if, you're, if you have to ask somebody after you've not done it um, how they would like it. Now... He was John Cooper's first witness of the family QC. Now, how did that play out? <laughs> I think John Cooper's waited a long time for this and he was very keen to, to start getting at the, the witnesses and he gave Mr. Coles, uh, sorry, Brigadier Coles a pretty hard time. Um, the big surprise at the last pre-inquest review was the anonymous letter. Well, it was received by, by John Cooper, who didn't tell anybody yep. that he had it. And, Which we touched on in the yeah. last podcast as well, didn't we, in terms of this had been received by, by the family's um, QC. Yeah, and that caused an awful lot of upset around all the, the other legal teams because... It's not really the done thing, you know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to disclose these things uh, as soon as you get them. But, but this anonymous letter came came back up on, on day two of the inquest. Yeah. Um, so he hands it over to Brigadier Coles. In a pretty bizarre way, actually. I mean, the Brigadier was quite keen to knock it down and say, and to repeat what Lemody had said earlier about how ridiculous it was and how ill-informed and nonsensical the whole thing was. And the Brigadier actually criticised the uh, spelling and grammar in the letter and uh, suggested that whoever had written it had uh, not achieved the level of education that he might have had. He kind of implied that, that the person who wrote it obviously didn't go to Sandhurst and John Cooper challenged him on that. Uh, he asked him to, to pick out examples of, of where he thought the, the grammar was um, maybe showing, showing up the, the anonymous writer and I timed it at about two and a half minutes to go to go through as we all sat there in silence watching I imagine that felt like being back at school and sitting in an exam with everybody watching and he went through the, the, the letter uh, as I say I, I guessed at about two and a half minutes uh, and couldn't find the examples of uh, of uh, where where it, where it showed up the level of education and attainment of its writer. He couldn't find them um, and had to withdraw that. So, uh, But it was a pretty bizarre moment. 
Did, did you get the impression that Brigadier Coles and, and I, I guess by association um, that, that the MOD then doesn't appear to be taking this as seriously as the other inquests because I mean that would that would be quite a shocking allegation but but you you know you're sort of saying he doesn't appear to be as prepared as he should have been you know absolutely yeah and he did it again as well I mean it happened twice uh, the brigadier was also challenged to to um, well he wasn't challenged he was asked to comment on a statement uh, in the bundle and and when he started making his comments on it. Uh, Mr. Cooper had to ask him to very politely to read to the end of it because the point that he was wanting to discuss, uh, the brigadier obviously hadn't read. So he asked him to, to finish reading the, the, the whole statement before he could then start asking him questions about it. Let's just have a little chat about some of the other the other witnesses that we've we've heard from sort of this week. Then you've sort of said that one of the witnesses you know at least one of the witnesses seemed to be sort of embellishing it appeared when cross-examined it was kind of embellishing his account just tell me a little bit more about that yeah, do you know what it was uh, uh, i actually can't remember now but it was it was just another bizarre moment where you know the brigadier just didn't seem to be prepared you know he didn't he didn't seem to be prepared for the for the questions that he might be asked, he certainly wasn't prepared with an apology. If he thought that there were examples in the, of grammatical errors in the letter, he may well have wanted to highlight them uh, and have and be armed with that before he went into court. And often that can be put down to the passage of time, because obviously, you know, in, in this in question, you know, these events happened 17 years ago. We're talking a long time ago. So people's memories, you know, even what they may have remembered a few years later, they may struggle to recall now. But this is a different situation, isn't it? Yeah. Well, no, I certainly don't think MOD are ever prepared. I mean, Nicholas Moss, as we, as we know, is, is the best prepared and has the most thorough grasp of everything going on in court of anybody. I'm not sure if the MOD either forgot to make a surprise or if, uh, if or if it was an oversight um, but uh, I, he may well have just been uh, riffing on the on the anonymous letter and it just came out I don't know but he certainly wasn't ready to be asked questions about it now we've talked uh, sort of off air as well a little bit about some of the themes that have come through from the previous inquests about the kind of things that we have repeatedly heard about deep cut the environment the the sort of themes of what was kind of going on around the time of these deaths as well and I mean in Cheryl James's inquest there was and and I mean actually we've, we've talked about this sort of separately as well Cheryl was very much painted as a sexually confident young woman and how that played out in court is very different to Jeff being a very sexually confident young man and that's already taken a different tone to, to how it did in the first inquest and then Sean Benton's there were sort of different there were different themes really that kind of ran through that weren't there there was the you know the sort of sexual prevalence of deep cut around the time that, that Cheryl James was was there but then the, the deep cut we heard about for Sean Benton was a very violent very unpleasant place to be do you think they will be similar themes that we hear from from this inquest from the from the evidence that you've heard so far I mean it's still very early days but again that's that's a feature that's been a feature of the first two as well where um, a witness statement might sound too good to be true and then when you get the witness into the box it turns out that it, that it probably is too good to be true I think that has to go back to the quality of the witness statement taking which is sorry please it's very difficult to do quality control on these things because because the various legal teams aren't allowed to speak to the witnesses before they went to court. But it does seem that 
more often, well, not more often than not, but I mean, quite a, quite a number of times, witnesses haven't really lived up to the, their billing. Um, and, you know, their stories, when, when examined, maybe don't hold up so well. And in terms of race and uh, how, I mean, you sort of say, you know, how, how the army, how that played out within the army, but actually it's it's not only about how, how it plays out in the army, it's, it's about how it was playing out in the army 17 years ago, isn't it? And, and like you say, you know, there have been some societal changes on many of these themes as, as well in that time. But in, in terms of what have been the, the sort of instance that you've heard about so far that, that make you think that? Because the witness statements were taken, you know, very close to the event. Well, <coughs> Jeff was killed in September 2011 and witness statements were, were starting to be taken by June the following year. So it wasn't that, you know, it wouldn't have been particularly fresh in people's memories. It's just... I'm not sure that, that the witness statements couldn't have been a bit better. Now, over the coming week, uh, there's obviously a lot more a lot more witnesses to take the stand. And there are, at the moment, we're, we're in this sort of phase of hearing a lot of Jeff's peers who were serving at the time alongside him, his friends, and, and sort of hearing more about his attitudes towards the army how he was getting on at deep cuts i mean it's it's you know we've heard about guard duty has already come up again you know which was which was a big issue previously in terms of how that was handled um but that seems to have sort of been a a small gripe for for jeff but other you know beyond that you know and i think it's fair to say that a lot of soldiers don't really like doing guard duty but they you know it's part of the job suck it up buttercup and get on with it isn't it um but that was the only thing really that he seemed to 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 broadly complain about and that actually everything else he was loving the army it it appears well i mean as you say one of the main themes of Cheryl's inquest was sex and it's certainly been mentioned so far in jeff's inquest that he was not to put too fine a point on it, a, a pretty horny 17-year-old. Yes, the difference between being a horny 17-year-old girl and a horny 17-year-old boy is... Um, that's, I'm not sure that's one for the, for the inquest to, to deal with. That's a, that's, a, that's a societal thing, but um, yeah, it, it does, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, He's one of the boys, and she was certainly one of the girls. But it's it, our attitudes to that are, are whatever we come in with, you know. Um, and with Sean, yeah, it was certainly an awful lot about violence, and um, yeah, and we've, we've, we're yet to see the main things develop in, in Jeff's inquest. But I think, as a kind of curtain raiser, I suppose, I think that uh, we could be looking quite seriously about issues of race and, uh, and how that plays out in the army and um, I think we'll also hear a bit about uh, money as well. Um, we can't, I can't really say too much about that yet because it's, it, because these, this is just what I think is going to start coming out eventually. But. And have, have there been any other troubling issues in Jeff's life that have come to light so far? Nothing particularly so far, it's just that it's not really come up before and um, I think it might play out a bit differently to, you, to what you might expect as well. Um, I think we are going to hear about racial tensions but I think those racial tensions may well be not what you might expect. And within groups as well, it's certainly going to come up. There was a good reason for it and, and everybody knew what that reason was. And we also know that Jeff was certainly very keen to get to get on with that as well, you know. We know that his mum had 
told him that if they were going to send him off to war, she was going to write a letter to the to the general saying that he couldn't go. You know, but he was he was keen to get on. You know, he, he was army, 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 as 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 people have said. Um, so the fact that he had to do extra guard duty because of Osama bin Laden, I just don't see that that's a, a major a major point here at all. And one thing that, that has been different, and we, we sort of talked about in the, the first podcast, expecting to uh, you know, expecting the court to be very packed, it's been busy, but there has not been as, or there is not currently as much media interest in Jeff's inquest as there has been in that of, of Sean Benton and, and, and Cheryl James, has there, which... In a word, uh, no. He, he certainly didn't have any money problems. Uh, he had no history of psychological problems. There was a personal issue that he was dealing with, but without going into the details of that, it, I, I think the, uh, the police may have got the wrong end of the stick on that one. No, everything's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, uh, you know, he knew that on Friday he was going off to start his driver training and this was the career that he wanted and he was keen to get on with it. If people are interested, then they need to keep following us. Mm. Need to keep mm. listening to us to find out what's yeah. going on in court. Yeah, I think this, this one is, is just completely different to the first two. Uh, for a lot of reasons and is, is going to... It's going to develop in ways that are not immediately apparent. I think, uh, I think we're going to see some very interesting. We're going to hear some very interesting uh, evidence in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure it'll pick up because, as I say, I, I, I think this, this one is going to develop in, in ways that, that are not immediately apparent. Well, we will be updating the podcast weekly. You can subscribe on iTunes and on all of the main podcast platforms. We'll be discussing the main points of evidence from the past week, and we are, of course, interested in hearing from you. If you served at Deep Cut, if you knew Private Jeff Gray, do follow us to keep up to date on all of the main points of evidence from Woking Coroner's Court here and on Twitter. Deep Cut, The Inquest.